0: Okay, numbers fourteen, uh, verse twenty. Fourteen twenty. Then this Lord said, "I have pardoned according to your word, but truly, as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all men, all these men who have seen my glory in the signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, I have put uh, have put me to the test now these ten times, and have not heeded my voice." They certainly shall not see the land where I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of their, those who rejected me see it. Lord, as we look at your word, and uh, Lord, as we consider the things that you have to say to our hearts, Lord, we pray, Lord, that they would speak to us, Lord, that uh, uh, you would show us what you desired us to uh, be doing in our lives and just a heart attitude you desire for each one of us, Lord, as we look at your at your scripture. We thank you for this time in Christ's name. Amen. What we just read, verse 22 says, Because all these men who have seen my glory and signs which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, they have put me to the test now ten times. Ten times, and have not heeded my voice. Ten times, the Israelites put God to the test. Parents, have you ever been put to the test by your kids? I'm sure all of the parents can say that. When we were married, we were told that we probably would not be able to have children, which was a big disappointment to us, of course. But the Lord was very gracious to us, and in time, he gave us a child. And he blessed us with a little girl, and her name was Ruth. Ruth was a very quiet baby, very compliant, didn't raise much fuss at all, rarely had to spank her because you just look at her cross-eyed and you just start crying. And uh, so she was a very easy baby. After 16 months, the Lord gave us another baby and he decided we needed a challenge. And he gave us Anna. Anna was the opposite of Ruth. She was a very strong-willed girl and her phrase, her, her, her philosophy of life, I think was, look at me. She would, we would spank her and they'd have tears in her eyes and she'd look up and say, that didn't hurt at all. <laughs> she was constantly testing boundaries and what all can I get by with? So as parents, we got a good taste of what it is to be, have our patients tested. Actually, both girls grow up to be very good girls. And Anna, uh, with her strong will, really turned out to be one who uh, holds strong and very firmly to her convictions and what she believes. So uh God has taken that and uh, made a good characteristic out of her. But it says here in Numbers 14 that Israel tested God ten times in the wilderness. And like our youngest daughter, Israel tested God's patience and God's long-suffering. The result, Israel failed. And the result of that is that that generation never did enter the promised land. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at uh, these 10 tests in the wilderness and use them uh, to evaluate ourselves. And we want to see how we measure up. The 10 tests really aren't specifically outlined in Scripture as to what they are, but we can pretty well guess what they might have been. <clears throat> So let's look at the ten tests in the wilderness. Number one, am I fearful of what might happen to me, or do I trust God? Am I fearful of what might happen to me, or do I trust God? Let's look at Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, verse 10. Now, the uh, context here is Pharaoh has let the uh, Israelites leave out of Egypt. And Moses leads them away, of course, out into the wilderness. And Pharaoh regrets that later on, and then he pursues the people in the wilderness. And here we're in verse 10, and we come to the point in the wilderness where the, the Israelites are camping next to the Red Sea, and they're blocked by uh, Pharaoh on the other side. So they're caught between the, uh, the Red Sea and Pharaoh on the other side. And so we come to verse 10, and it says, Then Pharaoh drew near, and the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so that they were afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us so, So to lead us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians, that we should die here. In the wilderness. So here they were. They just left Egypt and Israel was already forgetful. They forgot about making bricks. They forgot about children being thrown to the crocodiles. They forgot about slavery. They looked around and all they saw were buzzards flying overhead. So what's the difference, they thought? Buzzards or crocodiles? They were afraid and they didn't trust God. And that's a an natural response. But that's not what God wanted. God wanted a supernatural response, a response of trust. Steve will probably laugh at this. Many years ago, back in the 1980s, I took a uh, uh, was had a business trip to Nigeria. And it took me deep into the jungles of Nigeria uh, to a location. I was set to go on the trip and the trip got delayed. Uh, because uh, the host who was going to take care of me got malaria. So I had to wait until he got well from the malaria. And then I got ready to go on the trip, and I went over there, and it turned out that uh, uh, one of his workers had malaria there. So I got there, and this is the first time I've been to to Africa at all. And I was afraid. I mean, mosquitoes took on a whole new meaning to me. (laughs) What was going to happen to me? And what happened to our... Play here. Psalm 19, 91, verse 9-11 came to mind to me. And it says, Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the most high, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give angels charge over you to keep you in all your way. And I read that, and that just gave me confidence. And the Lord really was speaking to me in that. He's going to take care of me. I can trust him. Malaria or what? He's in charge. I remember back in, uh, second, second Kings chapter six, there was uh, Elijah and he had a servant with him and, uh, they were in a location and they got up in the morning and they looked out and all around was the Syrian army. They had surrounded Elijah because they were after him. And the servant was afraid, and he said, uh, he was terrified. What am I going to do? What are we going to? What's going to happen? But Elijah says, "Open your eyes." So he opened his eyes, and he looked, and he saw the Syrian army out there. But all around there, around the Syrian army, he saw a host of angels of God that were protecting. Uh, he had opened Elijah has opened the servant's eyes of faith, and that's what God wants to do for us. And what does Jesus say that we should look like? Matthew 18, uh, verse 3 says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like a little children, you shall by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. God wants us to have the trust like a little baby, like a little child. Someone that amazes me is Thomas Price. I don't know if uh, you've seen this, but he'll take his kids when they're small. And he'll take them and he'll throw them up in the air and catch them. See him do that? And what do they do? Are they terrified because of what's going to happen? No. They're giggling. They're laughing the whole time. They have trust in Thomas. They put their faith in him, and they know that the God's going to, that he's going to take care of them. And God wants that childlike faith in us too. Second, am I bitter at God for circumstances in which he has put me? My bitter at God for circumstances in which he has put me? So look at Exodus 15. Exodus 15, verse 23. Now they came to Merah, where they could not drink the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and he tested them. There. The place is called Mara. Uh, the name Mara literally means bitterness. And there was a problem here in Mara, and it wasn't the, uh, the it wasn't the bitter water. It was the bitter people. The people hadn't had anything to drink, and they were bitter. I thought God has put us in this situation. And it's a bad situation. Moses threw the branch in the water, and the result, it helped the water's bitterness. It didn't help the people's bitterness. nearly uh, the branches that they threw in the water, it's a real picture of uh, the cross in Christ. The branch took away the bitterness of the water, and the cross took away the bitterness of our sin. There in verse 25, it says, he tested them. He tested them. That's, in other words, he put them to the test. And it's it's an assayer's term. It's like a, a, when you go to an assayer and you take a piece of gold to him. He tested to test the quality of the gold. Is this pure 24-karat gold or is it something less? And here, God has done the same test in the people. And uh, they were put to the test. And the result was the people were bitter. Our word tribulation uh, comes from the Greek word tribula. And it's a term used to describe knocking chaff off of wheat. And that's what God is doing to us. In tribulation, he's knocking off our rough edges so we shouldn't be bitter. Many years ago, I was talking to a young lady, and her name was Dana. And I said, Dana, if you could look in a mirror and change anything about yourself, what would it be? She didn't say anything for a moment or so, and then all of a sudden she broke out and says, My hair! My hair! I hate my curly hair! We talked for a while, and uh, we finally decided that uh, uh, Danis was bitter about her hair, and really, she was bitter at God because of the way that God had made her about her hair. There's a warning in Hebrews, which uh, 12, verse 15, that says, uh, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. <clears throat> with bitterness, many are defiled. It's like a disease, and it spreads to others. It's an, uh, no, uh, an exodus had to do with the necessity water. The people failed in the testing Yet God provided the water; God knew he needed they needed it, and he was going to provide it for them all along Third do I trust God trust God to provide? do I trust God to provide Exodus sixteen verse one I journeyed from Elam and all the congregation of Israel. Came into the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month, they departed from the land of Egypt, and the whole congregation of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, "Oh that we had died in the land by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat down by the pots of meat, and when we were ate bread in the full! For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger." Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people will go out and they will gather a quota every day that I may test them to see if they will walk in my law or not. <clears throat> what do the children of Israel do in, the wild, in Egypt? Did they eat, by, eat pots of meat? No, it says here they s- sat by the pots of meat or flesh pots, as some verses say. Verse 3 says, they sat by him. They rarely had meat to eat at all. His starvation uh, was a starvation diet of slaves. They probably had bread and water and fruits, and that was it. And here in Luke six, or Matthew, uh, Exodus 16, God sends him manna to put him to the test. And what was the test? The test was, will God provide? And God has the same test for us. Will God provide for you and I, as he promised? Matthew sixteen or 6, verse uh, 26 says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? For us, God says he's going to provide for us. He'll provide. And he says, look at the birds. Do they uh, sow and reap? Did you ever see a a bird nest with a silo beside of it? No, not at all. God will provide. He provides for the birds and more important important than they are. Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? You can't. Worrying doesn't do any good. 28 says, why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, whether or not they toil or spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes uh, the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow, is thrown of heaven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? God promises that he will provide for us. Philippians 4, verse 19 says, And my God shall supply uh, you, he says, my God will shall usually supply some of your needs. Is that what it says? No, it says, my God shall surely supply all your need according to his riches in his glory in Christ Jesus. God is going to provide all that you need. Not all that you want, but all that you need. He was promised that he'll do that. God's not limited by fuel prices, shortages, finances, he has, he he supplies all of our needs physical needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs financial needs he'll provide account i i i like to uh remind people of it, and I think many of you have already heard it and this is george Mueller George Mueller was a uh, uh an evangelist back in the eighteen hundreds uh but he's probably best known because he ran an orphanage and uh he would provide the orphanage for children he provided hundreds of children. Uh, in the orphanage, up to 800 in an orphanage. But he went by the promise that he would only make his needs known to God. He would never let man know if there were any needs at all, but he would only let uh, trust God to provide any needs. The account goes one day that the children came in uh, the orphanage and they sat down to eat. And there were several hundred of them, uh, the children there. And the only problem was, there was no food. They had no food at all. So George Mueller had him sit down and says, okay, let's give thanks for the food. And he prayed and gave thanks for the food. As soon as he finished praying, there was a knock on the door. And it was a a dairyman, and he says, my dairy cart is broken down out in front of your place, and the uh, the milk is going to spoil, and I can't deliver it. Would you like to have the milk for your children? And so they said, yes, and he brought it in. And shortly afterward, there was another knock on the door. And it was a man who was a baker. And he says, I had a conviction last night that I should be baking some bread for the children because they might want it. So I brought you some fresh bread. And here it is. God provides. God provides in very special ways. And if you ever get a chance to read a George Mueller biography, I really urge you to do that. That's a tremendous reading for someone. <clears throat> Fourth, do I use God's gifts as he intended? Do I use God's gifts as he intended? Let's look at uh, Exodus 16, verse 14. 16, 14, And when the layer of dew was lifted on the surface of the wilderness, there was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? Well, they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather according to each one's need, one omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those that are in his tent. So God gave manna. He provided manna for them to eat for the time for their wilderness. But what happened? Jump down to verse 19. And Moses said, Let not no one leave any of it until morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. They were supposed to not eat it just that day. It wasn't for the next day, and people disobeyed. Jump down to verse 26. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. No, it happened that some of the people went out on the Sabbath day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, "How long would do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws?" People tried to misuse the manna. They went to uh, kept it longer than they should have. They went out to gather on the Sabbath day, which they weren't supposed to do. So there was a problem here. The problem wasn't the manna. And the problem really wasn't the use of the manna. The problem was the misuse of the manna. And today we have the same thing, a sin. Sin is often excessive of something that we do or something we misuse, something that God has given us. God has given us sleep, but sometimes we misuse it and it turns into slothfulness. God's given us eating, but we misuse it and it turns into gluttony. God has given us money, and we misuse it, and it turns into greed. Back in fact, in First Timothy 6.10, says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It doesn't say the love of money is the root of evil. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. I think for me, a gift that's pretty easy to misuse is time. I can use it wisely or I can misuse it. And I think the Lord Jesus, He had 24 hours in a day. I have 24 hours in a day. Same as the Lord. But I have some to many temptations to misuse it. TV, internet, and even sleeping. But every hour of the day that we have is a gift from God and we should use that gift as He intended. Fifth am i afraid that obedience to god will bring uh, to a dead end am i afraid that obedience to god will bring a dead end exodus 17 verse 1 then all the congregation of the children of israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the lord and camped in erfideon but there was no water to drink uh, for the people to drink therefore the people uh, contended with moses and said give us water that we may drink and Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Go before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take your hand, in your hand, your rod, Uh, with which you struck the river, and go, behold, I will stand before you, and there in the rock in Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. Here's the problem. Before they had a problem. The water was bitter. Now we have a problem. There's no water at all. But really, the people had obeyed the Lord in this case. They had gone into the wilderness, and they were there in God's will, but they were complaining. They were complaining, really, that God had brought them to dead end because they were going to die of thirst. Did God bring him to dead end? No. He provided the water, and he gave them the water. Elijah. Uh, God told Elijah to go to a brook, to go out in the wilderness alone in a brook, and by uh, this brook, and he would provide for him. And he, Elijah did that, and he went by the brook. And he was able to drink from the brook. Then the brook dried up. Was this a dead end? Was this a dead end for Elijah? No. Elijah stayed there. He didn't give up. He didn't complain. And The result is, God strengthened him with the food. He answered his prayer. And he blessed him. Think of Paul. Paul was put into a Roman prison. Was this a dead end? No. In fact, it was a chance for a furtherance of gospel. Here he was in prison. He was bound to a guard. Now, talk about a captive audience. Uh, that was it. He had it. And so he reached the Ro- gospel, uh, he reached the Roman guards with the gospel. And In fact, it says the gospel even went into Caesar's household. Paul was in a shipwreck. Was that in a dead end? No. It was for a purpose. The result of it was that the island of Malta was reached with the gospel. Many of you may, uh, or most of you probably, have heard of Jim Elliot, and he was uh, a missionary to the Aki Indians, along with uh, other brothers. In uh, 1956, they went down there and they, uh, reached, they reached out to the Akas with the gospel, and the Indians killed all of them. They were martyred. His, uh, was this a dead end? Was it happen, uh, Did it bring it to the dead end? No. Israel a result of this, others went and the whole Akka tribe was converted to Christ. If we trust God, when all things seem hopeless, there will not be a dead end, God will lead us when we obey. Number six, do I trust God's chosen leadership over me, or will I take matters into my own hands? Do I trust God's chosen leadership over me, or will I take matters into my own hands? Exodus 32. So we're going to uh, jump to Exodus 32. Now, the context here is uh, Moses had gone up to the mountain, mountaintop, to receive uh, the Ten Commandments. So Moses is gone. Exodus 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together. Uh, to Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make for us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Then Aaron said to them, Break off golden earrings which are in your ears and your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from the hand and the fashioned it into engraving tool and he made a golden calf then he said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So at this point, Moses had been on the mountain with God for quite some time. And he left them on the mountain. Uh he, When he went up to the mountain, and he left in Exodus 24. Look, back, uh, Let's go back to Exodus 24. Exodus 24, verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me in the mountain and, and be there and I will give the tablets of stone and the law and the commandment which I have written uh, uh, and that you may teach him. So Moses arose and his assistant Joshua and Moses went up to the mountaintop. So Joshua and Moses went up to the mountaintop and he said to the elders, wait here until I come to, uh, back to you and Aaron and her are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to the van. And the idea here was that uh, Aaron and her would take care of any legal matters that might come up uh, when they were gone. Jump to verse 18. So Moses went up in the midst of the clouds and went up the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. So what happened while Moses was gone? Aaron did more than handle just legal matters. He took matters into his own hand. He and the others got impatient with Moses, and they made a golden calf, and they worshipped it. Question here. If you ever had anyone in authority over you, it seems like they moved too slow. Moses was gone 40 days, much longer than they thought it should be. How about us? We had authority. We thought moved too slow. We knew what to do. We thought the leaders are incompetent. The Israelites thought that Moses was too slow, and they thought... That God was too slow is what they were really thinking. Trusting those over God, uh, over me, really, is trusting God. and Taking matters into my own hand that's sin. That leads to idolatry. In Exodus 32, Aaron and the others rebelled against Moses. They took matters to their own hands and they made the golden calf and they worshipped it. And The result is Three thousand people died. What had occurred uh, during the time Moses uh, was gone, God had given the law to Israel, probably the greatest event in the uh, in the wilderness that took time and this took time Every day we see disturbing trends. We see people going out from under God's authority. People change jobs because they can't get along with their employer. Children leave home because they can't get along with parents. What does God do? God often places slow, intolerant authority over them. And the purpose is to teach them to trust and obey. Samuel and Saul is a good example here. For Samuel 8, uh, here Israel is preparing for uh, an uh, attack by the Philistines. So uh, they're preparing an attack. And here, uh, Samuel is speaking to Saul. And Samuel says to Saul, You shall go down before me at Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings, to make sacrifice of peace offerings. <laughs> seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you should do. So what happened a little later, a few verses later in First Samuel, Samuel 13, this is seven days later, and talking about Saul, and it says, uh when he Saul waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. And Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offering to here to me, and he offered the burnt offering. So what had he done? He had disobeyed his leadership, he had disobeyed uh Samuel and gone ahead. So often uh word a rush Oh, you Well, let's go ahead and see uh, verse 13. See what happened. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established his kingdom over you forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord Commanded you. So often we're in a rush. We want to get things done in a hurry. What does God do? He puts someone in authority who slows things down. God wants us to wait. God wants us to trust His authority that He's put over us. Leadership that moves slow really contagious patience. Seventh, do I have a complaining heart? Do I have a complaining heart? Let's look at Numbers 11. So we're going to move to Numbers, chapter 11, verse 1. Now when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. For the Lord heard it, and his anger was aroused. So the fire of the Lord burned among them, and he consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. And the people cried out to Moses, and when Moses prayed for the Lord, the fire was quenched. So the name of the place was called Heberah because the fire of the Lord had burned among them. The children of of Israel were complaining. Some versions use the term murmuring. They were murmuring. They were murmuring among the people. Not much is said specifically, but this: uh, there was a general habit of murmuring among the people. Have you ever been around people that always complain? It gets old really fast, doesn't it? And here, may God burn. So what's the opposite of complaining, of murmuring? It's thankfulness. Thankfulness. If we want to deal with a complaining heart, then we need to thank those things that we complain about. And we need to thank God for them. If we have a broken down car, a burnt dinner, a poor test score, a missed job promotion, cold weather, the minute we realize that we're complaining, we should stop cold and thank God for what we've been complaining about. Some of you here, uh, knew Chung Sheradden. Chung Sheradden. Uh, she's with the Lord now. But this chapel was at the, uh, uh in Overland Park. Uh, Chung lived, uh, just a few houses away from the chapel building. She was unsaved. But she came to the chapel because she just wanted to thank God because she had had a wonderful life and she just wanted to thank God for it. So she came to the chapel and some ladies met with her and as a result, she got saved. And as a result of that, her whole family got saved. But why did she come? She came because she had a thankful heart. God blesses thankful hearts and he wants that for us. Numbers 11, and note who the or the complainer was. Where were the complainers? They were in the outskirts. The complainers weren't in the center of the camp where the ark was. Instead, they're the ones that hang around the outside edges. If we're close to God and worshiping Him, we won't complain. But if we get away from Him and we hang around the outskirts, we're going to develop a complaining heart. Have you ever Many of you here, I know, have visited a retirement home, and I go there. It's interesting. It seems like you have two groups of people. You have the, the people that are hard and are complaining a lot, and you have people that just seem sweet and, and uh, uh, get along with everything. And I think this is the, the fruit of a life that's been lived that way. People have complaining hearts, and it grows. And when you get old and you're in a retirement home, uh, uh, your guard is taken away. And yourself just throws, shows through. I don't know if you've observed this, but I sure have. And it's, it really shows up in, in older people in that situation. When we have a problem with something, God just wants us to, with someone or something, God wants us to pray for it or for them and be thankful. And not just generally thankful, but very specific. What specific things can we be thankful for, for that situation? Or that person. Thank God for that person or thing that we complain about. God doesn't want a complaining heart. He wants a a thankful heart. Am I satisfied with God's daily supply? Am I satisfied with God's daily supply? Look at uh, Numbers 11. Look at verse 4. Now he, the mixed multitude were among those, uh, among them, yielded the, to intense cravings of so the children of Israel, wept again and said, where will, who will give us meat to eat? We may remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic, but now this whole being is dried up, and there is nothing for us except the man, this manna before our eyes. There's complaining, jump down to verse 18. As Moses, uh, God speaking to Moses, and he said, You shall say to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat, not one day, not two days, not five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you, because you have despised the Lord who is among you, and you have wept before him, saying, "Why did we ever come up out of Egypt?" And it was a perfect food. Some say there may not even have been an elimination because of it. I don't know, but there was a problem with manna. It was boring. The people wanted something more. In God's words, they were greedy. That they thought, "Is I think more than what God needs me gives me." In order to be satisfied, do you see what God did? God gave them what they wanted. He set them the desire of their heart, and leaneth his soul with you. I think the lesson here for us: be careful what you ask for. God may give it to you. First Timothy six eight says, "Having food and clothing, with these we shall be content." God never promises anything more than food or clothing. Now, some versions say raiment instead of clothing, and that would include shelter too, so it could include that. But with that, you don't need anything more to be content. God wants us to be satisfied with his daily supply, and if we wind up in soup lines, if we wind up in our health fails, we let us have a heart that says, thank you, thank you, Lord. Do we judge the motives of others? Do we judge the motives of others? Look at uh, Numbers 10, verse 1. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than All men who were in the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Moses and Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out, and the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the gate of the tabernacle, and called Aaron and Miriam, and they went forward. Uh, Jump down to verse nine. So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when he, de- uh, the cloud departed from them in the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became lepers and white as snow. Then Aaron looked, turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So in verse one, we see Miriam and Owen uh, speaking against Moses. And the verb here, is, uh, says, spoke, is really a, a, a singular feminine. So it's really probably Miriam, which is doing the, most of the speaking here. The reason? It said Moses had married a foreign woman. This may have been Zephyr, it may have been somebody else's second wife that he had. At any rate, Miriam and Aaron were judging Moses for his marriage. So what happened? God judged Miriam, made her leprous. Judging the motives of others can lead to dire consequences. But notice what happened, in verse 14. And the Lord said to Moses, If your father had but spit on her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out on the camp seven days, and after that she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until Miriam was brought in again. Miriam was put out of the camp seven days. All Israel waited until Miriam was destroyed. One person stopped the progress of Israel because she had judged the motives of others. Actually, Aaron was wrong too. But one person can stop the work of God just by judging the motives of others. Now, are we to judge others? The scriptures say we should judge others? No, there are times when we do judge others. Salvation, for example. If you're going to marry someone, you want to judge if that person saved or not. Sin. If you another see another brother or sister in sin, you're to judge that and to go to them. Now, take a verse when you go with them. Because you have some scripture uh, that uh, with that, but you're supposed to go to them. But one thing we're not supposed to judge is the motives of others. If someone dresses why they uh, the way they do. That's not for us to judge. When someone didn't come to the meeting last night, that's not for us to judge. When someone drives an expensive car, that's not for us to judge. We just don't know the circumstances if you see sin go to another brother with a verse but otherwise never 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 judge the motives of others God doesn't give us that right number 10 do we realize the foolishness of disobeying God do we realize the foolishness of disobeying God number 13 Uh, let's go back to uh, numbers thirteen let's start with the first one. we get to fourteen, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Send to me a spy out of the land of Canaan, which is given uh, which I have given the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send man every one a leader among them. So uh, God gave commandment, take uh twelve people, uh, one person of each tribe, go to the land of Canaan and look it out and search it out. Well, the spies did that. They went out and they spied and came back, some with a favorable report and some with an unfavorable report. Jump to Numbers 13, verse 30. And Caleb uh, quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up once and take possession, for we are all able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel bad report of the land, which they had spied out saying, the land which, uh, uh, through which we have gone as, uh, spies is a land which devours an inhabitants. And all the people we saw in it are great men of great stature. And we saw the giants, the descendants of Anakin, uh, came from giants. And we were like grasshoppers in their own sight. And so we were in their sight. Continuing in chapter 14, verse 1. Then all the congregation uh listed up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Jump down to verse 6. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, and Caleb, the son of Jehunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to the congregation of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. Verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the meeting before the children of Israel. And then he appeared. Moses interceded before the Lord. And uh, 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 the result is, that they were spared. Now to verse 20, and this is the passage we opened with, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt, in the wilderness, and have put me to the test now, these ten times have not heeded my voice, and certainly they shall not see the land that I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. Scripture says, this is the tenth time, the tenth test in the wilderness. And here God gave a promise and a command. The promise was, I'm going to go into the land of Israel. I'm giving it to you. It's a good land. And the command was, go spy it out. The Spies went out, and all that God said was true. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. But to the conclusion... They are too big for us. And what are they saying by implication? They were saying that they're too big for God. God has something special planned for his people. The land of Canaan flowing with milk and money. And they even saw the land. They were right at the edge of it, but they didn't obey. They didn't accept that God had given them. And just like God tested them nine times before, they tested God this tenth time. <clears throat> you'd think they would have figured it out by now. You don't test God. You obey him. You trust him. But the children of Israel disobeyed. They grumbled. They murmured. God turned them back in the wilderness. And the people never enjoyed the God, what God had planned for them. It doesn't make sense to disobey God. But of course, we see that again and again. Think in the Old Testament. Pharaoh uh, should have figured out. You think every time he challenged God's prophet, Moses, things got worse and Egypt got devastated more and more. It took 10 plagues to break ph- uh, Pharaoh. It was foolishness to disobey God. In the New Testament, uh, scribes and Pharisees kept challenging Jesus, trying to trick him with questions, but it never worked. It was foolish to disobey God. The trick questions just showed him even more and more. The wisdom of Jesus to the multitudes. Conclusion we see, it's foolish to disobey God. So, these are the ten tests in the wilderness. Do we realize the foolishness of disobeying God's word? Am I bitter for the circumstances which God has put me? Do I trust God to provide? Do I use God's gifts as He intended? Am I afraid of, uh, that obedience to God will bring a dead in? Do I trust God's chosen leadership over me or will I take matters in my own hands? Do I have a complaining heart? Am I satisfied with God's daily supply? Do I judge the motive of others? Do I realize the foolishness of disobeying God's words? These are the ten times the children of Israel tested God. But really, these were tests of the people. Will you trust the Lord in the test that he sends you? Probably you won't face tests as hard as the children of Israel did. In fact, we have several advantages. We can learn from these people. We have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We have both the Old Testament and the New Testament of Scripture we can learn from. God doesn't want us to test Him. He wants us to trust Him. If we don't come to the edge of God's uh, blessing, we miss out If uh, because we are testing Him. Instead, He wants us simply to trust and obey. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give us hearts so we'd really want to trust you in all these things. And, Lord, as we see these tests, Lord, as uh, we face tests in our own life, Lord, pray that we would uh, uh, trust you in each situation. Lord, that we would look to you and just know that we had have a God who cares, a God that uh, loves us, and a God who truly provides in every way. In Christ's name, amen.